no surprise, although it is a little bit of a surprise to me. We started last Sunday a series on the book of Philemon. It's only three, it's only going to be three messages long on the book of Philemon. And, and towards the end of this week, I just was not comfortable, uh, not, didn't feel like it was ready. And so we're taking up a rabbit trail instead. Uh, yes, okay. So, just want to start this off. I, I, I like sports a lot. I play sports a lot, um, and, and I like watching sports. And I just came across something that's interesting. I never thought about this before. You know, in baseball, when a guy throws out the first pitch, and he also is the guy who throws the last pitch, that's called in baseball a complete game, a pitcher that lasts all nine innings. It's very rare. In the modern era, it doesn't happen very often. And when we start talking about consecutive complete games, in other words, you threw the first pitch to the last pitch games in a row, it's only happened, the, the leaders, four times. So it's, it's only happened once that somebody pitched four games in a row, complete games in the modern era. Roy Halladay is his name. But I started looking at baseball history. In the first 10 years of the 1900s, there's a guy that nobody's ever heard of. Well, you'll hear of him now. His name's Jack Taylor. I have his picture. You can put him up there. Jack Taylor threw 187 complete games in a row. He just never stopped pitching. It's just 187 complete games. He played, he played, here we go. He played for the Chicago Orphans, which is the forerunner of the Cubs. And this picture is from Chicago when he was warming up and they were getting ready to play the Boston Bean Eaters, <laughs> which was the forerunner of the Red Sox. How crazy is that? I think, you know, my wife is from Boston. She loves the Red Sox. And honey, I'm sorry to tell you they were first named the Bean Eaters, which I really like that name. <laughs> right? He threw 187 complete games in a row. Now, in, in that day, when a pitcher was handed the ball, the expectation was he was going to last the whole game. That was how, that's how it worked, unless he, you know, unless he broke his leg or something. He was going to last the whole game. Of course, if you know anything about baseball, you know today is totally different, right? We pay pitchers $20 million, and we don't even expect them to finish. Or more, I should say that. Finishing is so rare. There's a new statistic for baseball. They came up in the last 20 or 30 years that if a pitcher goes six innings, not nine, not eight, not seven, if he goes six innings and gives up three runs or less, he gets credit for something that's called a quality start. Isn't that wonderful? They hand him the ball. You don't even have to finish, dude. Just give us a quality start. That's all right. That's an amazing thought when you think about it. Wouldn't that be great if that worked in real life? Right? You're having an argument with someone. You're having an argument with your wife. You're having an argument with your boyfriend. You're having an argument with someone. And, you know, after a little bit, they just say, hey, 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 hey. You're out. I'm getting a new husband. Come on in. Come on in. You finish the day up. You know, like, like on a Saturday, you're, you're supposed to be cleaning the yard, right? I don't know. It's, this is me sometimes. And I get going, and after a few hours, I'm like, I'm sick of this yard. I'm sick of, curse you pine cones. I'm sick of this, right? And then my wife goes, okay, okay. That was a quality start. Let's get a finisher in here. Get the rest of these pine cones up. Wouldn't it be great if you could do that in real life at a job? Whew, I'm pooped. But I look at this as a quality start. Bring the guy in to finish my work. I'd love that. I'd love that. You know, the interesting thing, though, is that's not how life works, right? Life's not about quality starts. Life is about finishing well. Do you ever start, start something and then quit, and then you look back later and go, man, I wish I'd have finished on that? 
when I was a kid, I was forced to take music lessons, and so I picked up the clarinet. Why? I don't know. I think there was a spare one, right, in the music room. I picked up the clarinet, and I got, I got so good, it sounded like a duck being squeezed at the neck, you know, just like, like that, and I quit, and I kind of wish I'd have kept up at it. I wish I knew music better. I wish I could understand that kind of stuff better. Or maybe you, you, you took up lessons in something else, and you quit, and you wish you hadn't quit, or you volunteer, or you start a new job, and then after a while you quit, because ah, it just got too hard. But you kind of look back and wish you had. Or you know, you make some kind of a resolution. You're going to get in shape. You're going to stick to a budget. But then it gets hard, so you just quit, and you look back, and you wish you hadn't quit, right? Or you have a friendship, and things get rough, and you just blow the person off after a while. And then years later, you look back and go, that, that was a mistake. I shouldn't have done that. I wish I'd have handled that differently. You know, in the Bible, this is talked about a lot. This is talked about a lot. And, 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 and we see how interconnected everything is. I think about this um, when God created the covenant with Abraham, and I don't have time to go, it's this incredibly beautiful picture. When a covenant was made, there would be these animals, and there'd be this blood, and the first person would walk through, and they'd say, you can do to me what we did to these animals if I break this covenant. And then the second person would walk through, and they have the agreement they've already made, and the second person would walk through and say, you can do to me what we did to these animals if I break this covenant. And then God creates a covenant with Abraham, and God has to, to keep Abraham from running away, because who wants to make a covenant where death Death is on the line with God, right? And so God has to put Abraham to sleep. And then he goes through, and it names two different things. He goes through twice. God goes through the first time and says, you can do to me what we did to these animals if I break this covenant. And then God walks through the second time. He goes through Abraham's turn. So God walks through the blood, and he says, you can do to me what we did to these animals if you break the covenant. That's unbelievable. He says, Abraham, if you break the covenant, I die. And how can that, how can that be? Jesus. Gee, and, 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 and kind of in a sense, no, I don't remember, and kind of in a sense, that sealed Jesus' doom. When God walked through and got that blood on his feet and said, you can do to me what we did to these animals if you break the covenant. And and we did. We killed him. And so when God made that covenant, we always think about it just that we kind of talk and think about salvation. And, but also, it's very interesting, when God made that covenant, he took on some responsibilities that still apply to us. Right? Uh, let's look at It's coming up on the screen. Philippians 1.6. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it on the day of Christ Jesus. And... When you look at that sentence, the most important word is the first word. The most important word is he. God didn't say, I'm convinced that you who started a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Because you didn't start anything. You know, this, this is interesting because this is the, the book of Philippians. It was written to the church in Philippi. You know, Paul never planned on visiting Philippi. 
That was not in his plans. He, he was in Turkey, what is modern-day Turkey, Asia Minor, and he had mapped out where he wanted to go. He had this idea of how he wanted to go, and God interrupted his plan. God interrupted his plan and gave him a vision and said, Paul, go, go this way. Go to Macedonia, which is Greece, where Philippi is. Go there, Paul. Paul didn't want to go there. And so God got him to go there. And so he goes to Philippi. Now, if you know anything about, like in the book of Acts, Paul had this habit. He would go, because he was a Jew and he was well-known, he was a famous guy, um, he could go to synagogues and they'd let him get up and teach, right? they just let him sight unto, you're Paul, you're in. Teach us, right? So he goes to Philippi, where God is leading him, walks into the city and goes, what the heck? There's no synagogue. There weren't enough Jews in Philippi to constitute a synagogue. All there had to be, and this is the way they did things back then, not now, don't shoot the messenger. All there had to be was 10 men. 10 men made a synagogue. There weren't 10 Jewish men in in Philippi. And so what does he do? Well, he sees some people gathering, you know, gathering down by this river, washing clothes or whatever. And so he goes, well, if I got no synagogue, I see some people. So he goes and he just starts teaching out in the open. And in Acts 16.4, one of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira. She's from a city in Turkey. That's where she's from. Paul's like, you're from Thyatira. That's where I wanted to go. What am I doing here? Right? So she's from Thyatira, who is a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. She didn't open her heart. The Lord opened her heart, okay? The Lord opened her heart. The Lord blocked Paul's travel. The Lord called Paul to this place. The Lord opens the heart of this Greek woman named Lydia to respond to Paul's message. She's his first convert. And she says, look, I'm a believer. I, you have made me a follower of Jesus Christ. And if, I, if you say I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, then you have to come stay at my home. You have to come. And let's start a church there, right? And that's the beginning. That's the beginning of the church in Europe that ultimately came here. That's where it started. This one woman in Philippi, who wasn't even from Philippi, she's a business person. And that's how God started the church in Europe. Philippi is the first place the gospel was preached, and it spread from there. When you think about that, 2,000 years, church history, starting with that woman who was willing. And then, and then it says, Paul says <laughs> in the book of Acts, it says she, she argued strongly and she persuaded him. Because Paul's going, nah, 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 I don't know how to do this. He says, do it. Paul met his match, right? I think Paul met his match in, in Lydia. Nobody planned this. Who did it? God did it. God was up to something then and he's still up to something now. If we go back to that original verse in Philippians Chapter 1, he who began a good work and you will be faithful to complete it on the day of Jesus Christ. Paul says it's he. You didn't start it. You didn't make yourself. You didn't design your genes. You didn't create your gifts. You didn't convict yourself of sin. You didn't draw yourself to God. He did it. This is a great thing about the gospel. If you give your life to God, God's pitching And he throws complete games. Why? Because he has the power to do it. 
He has all the power we need. He has the power to change your heart. He has the power to enable you to resist temptation. He has the power to speak the truth in difficult situations. He has the power to love someone you find unlovable. He has the power to change a person who judges other people by where they're from or the color of their skin or whatever it may be. He has the power to change that. He has the power to endure suffering. He has the power to not give up and finish. And Paul says, he who began, not he who is finished, he who began this work in you. Doesn't say it's going to happen fast, but he says it's begun. And what does that mean? That means you're not finished yet. That means this is a work that is, that is it's progress. It takes time. It's going to work out over a long period of time. So that means you're going to have problems. That means you don't necessarily get to know the end of the story yet. That means your heart is going to get broken at times. It means your world is going to get shattered at times. It means in those times, sometimes you have to learn to be patient. You have to endure failure. You're going to have to wait. And that, that's our struggle, isn't it? We're not good waiters. We, we don't wait well. We're in a horn-honking, microwaving, FedExing, fast-food-eating, express-lane shopping hurry, right? And it makes us so mad when we have to wait. Anybody try to get a Popeye's fried chicken sandwich this past week? <laughs> I tried twice. One time, I, I waited. I, I waited 30 minutes. And then I said, this is, I haven't had given my, this is not going to happen. And I... I like Popeyes. I go there for fried chicken. I think their fried chicken is awesome. And suddenly, it's just now, it's been destroyed. There's one right here. They just closed. They just closed for days. They couldn't handle it. There's a, there's a, there's a news source I like to read. It's called The Root. Um, and this person, the headline was, Congratulations, you all broke Popeyes. So that's right. That's right. That's right. Or I read this the other day. I, this woman, her car stalled in traffic, and, and she has no clue what's going on with the car, but the guy behind her is honking his horn to her. And so she gets out and walks back to his car and says very nicely, I don't know what the matter is with my car, but if you'll go look under my hood, I'll stand here and honk your horn for you. <laughs> Why? Because we don't like to wait, right? We don't like to wait. But, but there's something going on when God gets involved, when he begins something. Look at Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. If I can wait on God, if I can wait on God, that means I can, I can learn to wait with patience. If I can wait on God, I can wait and keep hoping. If I can learn to wait on God, I can wait and not give in to despair and not give in to sin. I can wait and learn to keep being faithful, even when I don't understand what's going on. If I can learn to wait and even bring some joy to people around me, because God's doing something. I have to believe he's doing something, and he's doing something in me, even in the difficult times for all of us. Because here's the secret, and I, and I want to put this up on the screen. This is, this is something I think, uh, and I didn't, this is something I read a long time ago. When you're waiting, who you become while you're waiting is as important as what you're waiting for. 
When you're waiting, when you can't understand what's going on, when you see no end in sight, something is still happening. God is still working. Even in the most difficult of times, he wants to be creating in you a perfect likeness of his son and make you more and more like Jesus. So who you become while you're waiting, it matters, matters just as much as what you're waiting for because God is pitching, so time is never wasted with him. So going back to that Philippians verse, he who began a good work in you, God does all, he does good work. The only kind of work God ever does is good work. In Habakkuk 3.2, it says, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. Have you ever thought that? There have been times where I, I think, God, I saw you do so much in the past, but where are you now? God, reveal yourself. This is what he's saying. He says, Lord, I know, I know you've done in, in the past, in the distant past, maybe even in the recent past, but I, I'm in trouble right now, God. Renew your good works. Renew them in our day. This is what we ache for. In our lives, we ache for marriages to be restored, for lives to be put back together, for poverty to be eradicated, for justice to roll like waters, for sex trafficking to end, for the Hampton Roads area to become a place where there's just this moral beauty that attracts people, to become a place of generosity. We ache for humility to reign in boardrooms and in corporate power structures. We need, we need the ability to live with a grateful heart in a place that is insanely consumptive, just consuming at an incredible rate. We need the ability to speak truth when truth is hard to find. The ability to trust God in the middle of an anxious world. We need a community of Jesus followers who are filled with love and joy who want to be servants so that you can't keep people away. They want to be around them. That's what we need. And God has done it before. This, the Habakkuk, we've seen, you've done it in the past, God. Will you do it again? Renew it again in your day, in this day, Lord. Because he can. If we're praying and we're saying, God, I, I want to be a part of this. I want to be a part of making your good works known. I want to be a part of honoring and glorifying you. I want to know that incredible joy of serving others and, and just getting this incredible joy. I, God, I want that. Because he's, he's, he began a good work in you. Ephesians 2.10 For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. And, and I, I know I said this sometimes, I repeat a lot of this stuff, but the word workmanship is the, it's the Greek word poema. It's where we get poem from. Poema, it doesn't just mean poem though. We've changed that meaning to mean just poem. Poema meant a masterpiece, something wonderful, something that has been created that is so good. We are his masterpiece. Now, if you're anything like me, you go, I'm not so sure about that. I don't feel like a masterpiece. 
That's okay. When Michelangelo was creating David, do you think it all, the, 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 the out, the, David was there the whole time? He was encased in all this stone that had to be chipped away, and it took years and years and years. It was a process. You are God's, you are God's masterpiece, and he's chipping away, and sometimes the chipping hurts. But if we can understand in those difficult times, this is a part of that process. God's going to make something good come out of this. Then we can get through it. Because sooner or later, we're going we're gonna to see. You, you, you run into it over and over. You're, in, you're inadequacy. You know, just, you just can't do it on your own. It has to be God. There's a guy, Christian writer, I don't, he, he passed away a number of years ago. His name was Charlie Shedd. And uh, he used to give a talk, and one of the talks he used to give on, give a talk on was parenting. And he was saying, before we had kids, I would travel across the country. This is from an interview he had. Before we had kids, I would teach a lecture I called The Ten Commandments for Raising Good Children. Then after they had their first child, he changed it to Ten Hints for Parents. After their second child, he said, A few tentative suggestions for fellow strugglers. (laughs) After the third child, he said, I'm never speaking on child rearing again because he was aware of his inadequacy because we're inadequate we're inadequate and it's a funny thing you know as you get older i've arrived at this point in my life and i don't have to give all the details of this but i have a greater sense of inadequacy than i've ever had before but that's okay because my adequacy is not in me it's in god and my inadequacy is not the main thing about me He has begun a good work in me. So I'm okay with my inadequacy because I just, it's it's God who's doing this. It's God who's working. He's working on all of, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he's working on the redemption of your character. He's working on the forgiveness of sin. He's working on activation of spiritual gifts. He's working that you will grow in the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. God is building those things in your life. He's working on the development of courage. He's working on developing in you a passion for his redemptive program in this earth, which is the fulfillment of your purpose. And so this is it. This is what he wants to do. This is what he started. If you, if you have asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior, if you are endeavoring to walk in him, acknowledging that you're a sinner, that he came, he died, he rose from the dead, therefore salvation is possible for you. Well, now, you're, if you're walking in that, then he, he started that work, and he says, I'm going to finish it. I'm going to finish it. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes I see the things that I do with my life. I see the things, ways I behave, stuff I say, how I look, just sometimes how I think. And I'm like, God, I am so far from you sometimes. Why am I? I hate this about myself. And God is like, okay, first of all, confess it, move on. That sin's been taken care of. Second of all, Bob, I'm doing this. Trust me on this. Just walk with me on this. I'm doing it. That doesn't mean we don't do anything, obviously. Don't take it too far. But he's saying, Philippians, he who has began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it on the day of Christ Jesus. And it's interesting because Paul has laid out the finish line. 
He's saying, I want you to, I want you to understand this is what I am doing as I'm working. Now, perseverance was a big familiar thing back then. The Stoics exalted it more than any other um, characteristic. And, and for, for a Greek philosopher, all times, this idea of perseverance would be this idea of you, 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 you persevere right to the very end. The day you die, you persevere till the day you die. But this isn't what Paul's saying here, okay? Because what he's saying is, Jesus is coming back. At some point, Jesus is coming back. Now, I may die before he comes back. You may die before he comes back. But he says, I want you to keep this in your mind because he's working, and there may be a day where it all ends. And he says, I'm done. Because he's the starter and he's the closer. He's the alpha and the omega. He's the first and the last. He's the author of our faith. He's the perfecter of our faith. He came, and then one day he says he's coming back. And so he's saying, I want you to understand this is how I work. I'm working in you. I'm working in you. If you're a parent and you're struggling and you don't know what to do, God says, I'm at work. Trust me on this. If you have a child going in the wrong direction and it's killing you, God says, I'm at work. Trust me on this. If you want to resign, if you want to quit, God says, no, hang in there. Keep loving, keep praying. Keep trying the best you know how because I'm at work. Trust me on this. Maybe you're at the point where you're at a spiritual quitting point. You've been trying to walk with God and it's gotten really hard. And he says, don't quit. I love you even in your worst moments. Maybe you have a habit around money or sexuality or anger and you're just getting discouraged and you could quit and it seems the easiest thing to do it seems like it would be easy to get out from underneath that load and he says don't quit I'm walking with you every step of the way I'm right there I know it seems easier to quit but no one has looked back on their life and said I'm glad I'm a quitter no one has ever done that And quitting sometimes seems so easy, but it doesn't build character. It doesn't fix future problems. It doesn't take care of present problems. And so he's saying, this is what I want to do. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it on the day of Christ Jesus. And there will be a day. There will be a day. I can guarantee you this. If you don't quit, there will be a day when you'll be, I'm glad I didn't quit. I'm so glad that I didn't quit. Thank God. And that's what's so great. This is what's so great about this gospel that we have. This, this teaching of Jesus Christ, the euangelion, the good news of Jesus Christ. It's that he's with us every step of the way. And because he became a human being, he knows how we feel. Right now, in your most difficult place... Maybe you're there right now. Maybe it was a long time ago. It may, it may still be coming. But in that most difficult place, wherever it is for you, Jesus is with you, and he says, I know how this feels. I went through this too. I know how this feels. You can make it. Trust me. Trust me. You can make it. Let's pray. I think at this moment the Spirit of God 
may be working on some people. I want to encourage you, if he is, don't fight it. Let him work. Maybe he's just whispering to you, you're, you're my beloved son, you're my beloved daughter. I'm beginning a work in you. These burdens, these struggles that you have, they're not the last word. God knows all of our in- inadequacies and regrets and mistakes, and he has plans for us that are good. Father, we trust you in that. Help us to learn to rest in it. Help us to learn to rest in you. Not that we don't do anything, Lord, but just that we trust you ultimately to accomplish what you have set out to do, Lord. And as you work, we get the joy of seeing you work in our lives. So, Father, I pray, I pray for my brothers and sisters here, some who maybe are going through incredibly hard times right now. And, Father, that your spirit would comfort and encourage them, even in this moment. And, Lord, that, that they would continue to hang on, to trust you. And ultimately, Lord, that they would see you bring about uh, a deliverance in this difficult situation. Uh, um, that they would resolve whatever issue it may be. You would resolve whatever issue it might, might be. But, Lord, that they would realize that hanging in there and trusting you was the best way to go. That can be so difficult, Father, and we know because of your Son, you know that. So we thank you, Lord, that ultimately you love us, even in our failures, and that you can work and bring good out of them. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to take an offering. Uh, Again, if this is your first time or you're a guest here, we're not asking you to give. Um, This is what our regular tenders and our members do as a part of their worship. Thank you.